0: Welcome back to another episode of a podcast run by a Software Engineer. I'm your host, Perry, and today we're gonna to be talking about technical interviews. Um, yeah, it's a really great topic because a lot of people in tech does get affected into it, and it's usually, you know, kind of like the gateway to get into the tech world. So uh, really excited to talk about that. I'm actually joined with Andy and Stan today, and I'm quite fortunate because both of them are very well, you know, involved into being on both sides of the technical interviews, such as being the interviewer and the interview as well. So hey Andy, how are you doing today? Good. <laughs> and up. how have you been? I'm good. Yeah, that's pretty sick. So, yeah, so I was mentioning, you guys are quite involved in terms of, like, you know, uh, checking all the, all the applications coming in, and I'm pretty sure in the past couple of years, you probably have done a lot of interviews yourself, mostly technical interviews. Um, I guess, like, the first thing, like, what is your overall opinion on them? Do you like them? Do you hate them? You got any good words or bad words to say about it? What do you think, Andy?
1: Yeah, they're pretty solid. I mean, it kind of depends on, like, uh, what they ask. Like, I typically like interviews that will ask... Uh, stuff that's like related to job not just some like random lead code problems and stuff <laughs> that are somewhat useless <laughs>
0: <laughs> somewhat yes yeah, so, it yes yeah, so you're saying that like you know actual practical you know questions as opposed to being like theoretically what this happens Then, mm-hmm. yeah ho- hopefully most of the questions nowadays are like that but I mean we'll discover as we talk about it but yeah what's your opinion on it, Stan? um I
2: think technical interviews are necessary um, but obviously there's a lot of ways and different opinions on how to improve like a technical interviews uh, how accurate they are in terms of assessing uh, potential uh, potential employees
0: yeah that's true because I mean like I don't think there's like one standard model that every single company uses at Mm -hmm. the end of the day Uh, just because uh, even from my experience from like trying different like you know job offers out there I've probably done like six different processes and like they're all slightly different so yep that's going to be really interesting to, you know, compare what we've gone through and like, you know, if we have any tips for other people going in, that'll be super exciting because, you know, they can only get better from that. But, um, I mean, we keep on saying like technical interview, technical interview. What is the difference between like a non-technical interview and like a regular interview?
2: I think uh, at least in the interviews I've had, usually there's like the, major- the majority of the components were technical interviews and those usually involve like some coding exercise, system design, um, but usually maybe during like lunchtime or something, oftentimes there's more of like a behavioral assessment and just seeing like how how you kind of fit in, whether you know how to like talk to people and stuff. Make sure you're not too much of a weirdo. <laughs> I think they call it culture fit, but you know, I think it's more of a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <I've had> somebody... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> had somebody give you that flag before. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've like failed a couple of those, it's hard to say, but
0: <laughs> yeah it's actually such a funny thing because um you don't really hear about it outside i don't know that's my opinion but outside of like the bay area like the weirdo fact of somebody you don't really hear about it i don't know if it's like a bias thing or whatever but <laughs> i think it's such a funny thing um i've never really watched a show like silicon valley but i'm guessing that they probably touch on that subject a little bit about like
2: yeah that show they they have a like a lot of different archetypes of types of engineers and yes a yeah. lot of them do fall in kind of the weirdo range. yeah i was gonna I mean, say more so than like the average person that I've met in actual Silicon Valley. But that's just for the sake of drama. Yeah. You
0: know? And I just like tick every single box of it inside. of it. Yeah. <laughs> But that's actually pretty uh, pretty interesting because when we're talking about like okay, th- those are really good points because like when we talk about tech interviews, there's the, you know, the main focus is being, you know, technically able to do, you mm-hmm. know, an interview. But the thing is like nowadays I've seen a lot of other like roles and like even non-tech roles that are requiring some sort of like take-home challenges or some sort of like project or presentation to demonstrate that they could do their stuff. So is it kind of like the influence where we keep on saying technical interviews, first it applied to like most of the technical roles, but nowadays you're going to see like other roles, you know, getting influenced by it. I don't know if you guys have ever seen anything similar to that. With take-homes, I, I think like the main benefit of a
2: take-home is like that you have like a larger time scale to actually prove that you're good at something. Oftentimes like in, within like a single hour, it can be difficult to
0: show all the things that you're capable of. But um. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, Andy. What like what's the uh, the key thing that makes an interview a technical interview? I guess.
1: I mean, that's that's basically it, right? Like, as long as they're like actually assessing your technical skills, that's basically like a technical interview.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, at least like we we put some parameters into it. Um, just because like technical interviews, uh, so far we haven't really defined a specific example of a technical interview. We keep on saying like, how do you determine somebody's like technical abilities? Well, most of the time. Uh, I agree with Andy to say that you know, when it's practical, when it's something that like, the output is something that is, you, know, you could use in real life use cases, like, oh, it gives you this amount of apples at the end. Like, it's probably not going to be apples, but you have like, <laughs> okay. something concrete. Um, that's, <laughs> I think that's something that we aim for. So, um, as I was mentioning, a lot of us has done like, you know, different kind of uh, technical interviews. Do you have any like, memorable experiences or memorable ones that, uh, that you've done previously?
1: I don't know, I feel like all the interviews I've done were pretty average. I don't think I messed up too badly in them, or I didn't do like, you know, too exceptionally good.
2: Mm, I definitely have a couple that like stood out to me. Like some of them that were really good definitely were kind of assessed my ability at a more practical level. Um, An example was like Stripe's interview was like very, I thought it was really good because it it was like very practical. They gave you problems that you would have to solve like during your normal engineering. Uh, your time as an engineer like on uh there and uh there were some that were like kind of bad but those were usually more of a case-by-case like interview interviewer basis they were just like oh so they were was... kind of uncomfortable people to be, with, to be around <laughs> yeah. especially when you're like asking for help and the, they're were, like kind of trying to get a little bit of help from them and they were very dismissive and just kind of Kind of had an
0: arrogant aura to them. I won't list companies there, but you know, <laughs> yeah. those are some gonna, of the bad experiences. I was gonna say, because there's a lot of factors into it, then it's not only the challenge that needs to be like, you know, fun for it to be memorable or like relevant mm-hmm. for it to be, you know, uh, giving up a good score on it. You gotta have somebody who's able to, you know, ask the question properly or like mm-hmm. somebody who's actually able to translate the goal of this whole process, or else, like, what you end up focusing on the fact that the interview wasn't the greatest interview out there, that it kind of put less importance on the actual, you know, task at hand. Which, which I guess kind of sucks because for both parties, you don't get a good assessment of like if the candidate is good and if you're able to actually hire somebody new. So, man, I feel like <laughs> I feel like we're on a roller coaster in terms of whenever you start a like, journey in, into interview process or whatever, there's so many things that could go wrong and like, there's so many things that like, will go up and down. So, um, But I mean, for the people less familiar with what you know, the whole stages of a technical interview is, I think it's a good point to like break down what are the different phases, I guess, just because um, if you look at it from a really big picture, you don't know each other. The, the company that you're applying to and you yourself, like, you have no contact between each other. So how in the world are you supposed to initiate this whole process? So I think the, the first stage most of the time is uh, either you reach out to a company or the company reaches out to you, which is both very common scenarios. Uh, I think one is probably more common is that one person will re- uh, reach out to a company, sorry. Uh, than being reached out to. Because if you get reached out to, you probably have a lot of clout or something. <laughs> I think- Not according to LinkedIn. There's so many recruiters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: <Right? laughs> The last I don't think paid. they actually care. They <laughs> just want a number. They just
0: want to add another applicant to their pile. <laughs> yeah. Gotta hit
1: the metrics, dude.
0: <laughs> yeah. Dude, yeah, the, the last girl <laughs> has probably changed a lot since. Maybe I'm just living in the in the back in the days then. So um, but yeah, I think the first phase of just you know getting into contact with a company and the candidate is definitely like phase number one. Phase number two is um, the introduction phase, where you know at some point you got to introduce what the what the context is, what the you know what the company does, what the role is. So like that's kind of like the clarification, clarification, sorry, bit. And then when we get to like the third bit is the challenge phase, where we actually have you know either you send them a take home or you uh, have an on site. That's the phase where you kind of evaluate how they are on site or like how they think in person, how they think live, or if you give them a bit more time, how they tackle the problems. And then you know the last phase is like if everything goes well, if nothing has you know fallen apart before then that's the decision phase um of you know agreeing negotiation and all that um did i miss any step in, into that
2: that seems to cover the majority mm. like the major phases
0: that's pretty cool and um yeah so i think what's actually quite important to to you know look at is the two different point of views we got to look at the per like from the point of view of the people hiring and then the people that are going through the process or like the applicants at the end of the day so mm-hmm do you do you prefer um this is just more definitely more subjective do you prefer being on the interviewer side or on the interviewee side Andy? it's
1: definitely a little bit less stress being the interviewer because i already have the job so you, know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't have that like hanging over me
2: That's
1: I, a
0: point. I actually
2: like being the interviewee a lot of the times i feel like you learn more um there there are times where you learn stuff from the in- like uh as the interviewer you learn something from the in- The person that you're interviewing um but oftentimes those those moments are rare because like you should understand the problem that you're giving a lot better than they do because you've spent a lot more time thinking about it and like thinking of all the various solutions but um
0: yeah yeah. actually that's a really good point to point out because like the the interviewer a lot of times like you don't really know what the interviewee is going to say and a lot of your responsibility is to adapt and like keep on going forward with what they're you know working on and then you know kind of if you have to guide them onto the right path, you got to know, got to recognize that mm-hmm. as opposed to like the interviewee, a lot of times that like, you'll have your own solution. Of course, you have to think about a lot of the different cases, but when you go onto a path, like you're the one on the path and like the other person is looking at it. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the balance is definitely there. I think from my point of view, um, I think, yeah, in the, especially in the past, like, you know, year or so, or like two years, I've done a lot of interviews, uh, well, on well, both that, anyways. And I actually really enjoy interview questions. I think those are the questions that really like challenges real life scenarios because most of the ones that... well, I mean, I haven't really talked about my experience in all the interview stuff. Um, I think one of the funner ones I did I did an interview for Medium, and uh, what was the, I don't know I don't I don't know the exact context, but one of them was basically just how they're storing a post like on the back end, for example. How are they representing like how are they storing every single paragraph, how are they storing uh, the changes, the edit changes from one version to another. And like, I think the question was revolving around that. And the way to look at that was so interesting. And I think that's one of the reasons why it was so memorable is because it was an actual case. Like Medium is a very popular blogging website and you can actually see the articles on it, but you never actually think about, oh, how is the you know information represented in the back end? So mm-hmm. I remember doing that interview and uh, that was definitely very, very memorable. So I was kind of my, one of my favorite experience going on. And if we're going back to the question where it's, like, do you prefer being an interviewer or interviewee? I I think, like, it's very, like, moody sometimes. If you do, like, a lot of interview in a row as a, you know, interviewee, you kind of get, you know, fed up. you be like, oh, why, <laughs> why can't I ask the questions or whatever? But then they could apply the same thing for the other side, right? But if you, you know, you keep on interviewing people, like, it kind of gets a bit dull and, like, you kind of try to find a way to keep it interesting. I don't know if you guys agree with that kind of thought. Uh I think I agree
2: like being being interviewed is definitely I think more ex- for me it's more exciting and more fun because you get exposed to like new things that you're not generally exposed to every single day especially if they are good problems yeah um, so if, given that as an assumption I think I again I prefer being the, being interviewed uh, as the interviewer there's there's a lot of stuff it's definitely more stable it's less (laughs) it's less (laughs) nerve-wracking especially after you've done like the same interview problem a couple of times uh but there's always ways to like refine the problem and as you like go through more as you as you give that problem to more and more candidates like you become better at giving out that problem like you know when to push people you know when to back off and it's like a very uh basically you're better at like delivering that problem and getting more signal out of out of the candidate.
0: But yeah, that's those are really good point because like I keep on mentioning this, but when was the last time you were interviewer and interviewee like at the same time? <laughs> like they're not like two mutually, you know, inclusive, you know, periods at the same time. Unless what would happen I can imagine is that like you'd be interviewing people and like somehow you just like decide to move somewhere else or whatever, then you'd be doing both at the same time. So that would be the one case that would ever happen. But yeah, I think those are kind of like the different <laughs> examples that we would have. Um, yeah, I think uh, the other thing that I was uh, interested, I don't know if anybody experiences or like explicitly been told you shouldn't be doing this, that when you're doing interviewer as as an interviewee, so you're the one doing the challenges, has any of the interviewer told you like you shouldn't be sharing this question anywhere else or?
1: (laughs) I think some companies have NDAs, right, on like their interview questions, but then I mean,
2: i've never signed anything for that (laughs) i think some of them have definitely like the recruiters have emailed me like especially for like take-home challenges where you post your code on github and stuff oftentimes they'll ask you to make it private or something or delete the code after they're done reviewing it but the on-site i don't know if that's actually like i've ever had that
0: yeah that's the thing because there's uh even for the all the interviews i've done before a lot of times i like i still have the code for it and like I can oh, all yeah. see I keep all the problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that's another good tip by the way. Like it sounds stupid but guys keep all the single questions. Yeah, I, I write them down
2: it. after each interview like after a phone interview I'll write down the problem I'll I'll try to copy the code if it's in one of their test yeah. before <laughs> before I go. And then like the same thing for on-sites like I try to keep all the problems in my head and then I write them down immediately after the interview so Dude, I have them as like a problem bank yeah you sound,
0: you sound like a spastic crazy person but you should a hundred percent do that like you should definitely be keeping all of it and it's funny because when you were mentioning like if the editor is still open because i think HackerRank or maybe one of those like they time out after a while
2: yeah they try to like get it so you can't copy the code but yeah you gotta be clever
0: just go put the trick out there is that if
2: you inspect the element on. but the they browser, can see you selecting all the oh, text yeah. inside the yeah. editors It'd just be like oops
0: Command-A. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's like the live coding, so like you can see that. But when it times out after, like, I realized what you could do is that you could go on the browser and, like, remove the pop-up. You just, like, inspect it and remove the element, and you can oh, still yeah. interact with the editor. So <laughs> you could definitely get the copy of whatever you code on it. So um, actually, from my experience, I don't think it happened often, but they will explicitly tell you, like, oh, please don't share this, you know, like, other. So, like, I think it happens, like, it happens, but not as common as it is. So there's nothing stopping me from like all the ones that didn't tell me that i could honestly just you know open a github repo and put all of it out there and like you know share it which i might do <laughs>
2: <laughs> don't put your name on <laughs> yeah exactly my blacklist you. i don't know like it's i well people obviously do post those problems like you go on you go on Glassdoor. you can read a bunch of problems especially for like the larger companies yeah
0: um, i was gonna say what's the downside of doing that actually like there's a reason why they tell you not to do it, but what's what's the downside for, you know, for you for the for the company, for the perspective of the, you know, tech community?
1: I mean the downside's only on the company. So like my opinion of like I guess the the take home um, like solutions, like ones I've done, I, I usually just post them up on GitHub, like even if they say like not supposed to because like, it's it's work that I made, like it's not, <laughs> like who Do you write it's for this company's challenge on it? I usually have like the company name in it, yeah. Oh, you should remove. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, like, might blacklist I, I you or something. <laughs> well, I, 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 I don't post like the uh, the ask or the prompt or anything. I just post like the code by itself. I see. Yeah, but so also like, like different.
0: there's I don't I don't think there's anything crazy about it because what happens is oh if they recycle the question for the next five years well it's kind of your fault um, you know like they should not be relying on the fact that somebody might find it out there that the solution exists or something you know what I mean like well
2: I'll take the devil's advocate. Advocate like side and be like, okay, assume you're a company, right? And it's very hard to come up with good Programming problems that have good signal on candidates, right? So once you do find a good problem You want to be able to reuse that as a standard test across as many candidates as you can because it's like uh, it's like a rule It's like a it's like a ruler right in terms of technical aptitude and you want to make sure that ruler is ideally the same for every single candidate and if someone comes in knowing the problem obviously that ruler is going to be a little different than the people that came in not knowing the problem, right? Yeah. So, I so could, it's harder to assess, like, who's actually better. Like, do they actually clear the bar or did they only clear the bar because they actually knew the problem beforehand?
0: Right? Yeah, I could definitely see your point of, like, you know, defending that, defending that point because if you look at any educational system, the same thing. If somebody has, like, the question to begin with, obviously... Yeah, like standardized
2: time. testing <laughs> like companies, like, people have game that entire that entire market, right? Like for the S when you take the SAT is like be, a long time ago when people implemented standardized testing, they assumed almost all the candidates would go in with basically zero experience. Like maybe they would understand the format of the test but they wouldn't have, to have taken too many practice tests, right? But nowadays like people have these standardized testing companies and they just they just continually prep for like these the same interview, right? And, and obviously they, they score much higher because of it. And now they need to like change the ruler for uh, they need to, like, change the measuring stick to account for these people that are constantly studying for a specific test, right? It's harder to get
0: a standardized yeah. score. There's actually so many points that we could, like, debate on this. Because, like, what, happened, what you're trying to describe, or I think what I'm trying to figure out is that when you have all these, like, standardized thing, or, like, the people that know the standard, that knows, like, okay, this is just a, you know, plug in the exact same hole, every single same, same answer kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. that's kind of a mindset to it then it forces the people who are actually giving out these tests to like, be more challenging. And doesn't that progress as a group, everybody, as it goes? Or do you think it, there's more negative impact to that?
2: I think you just things? become really good at that specific set of problems or solving those specific things. Like, let's assume all technical interviews were just graph problems all the time. Like, and you didn't have to know anything else. You would just spend all your time studying graph problems. But that doesn't make you a good engineer, right? Like, there's so many other aspects of engineering aside from graphs. Um, yeah so Is there? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of stuff that goes back to grass, but um,
0: I would say there's a lot of other things
2: outside of that as well.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I think I think so far what what we've been discussing is that like there's so many different facets to to interviews, but at, at the end of the day, is it feels like we're playing the interview game more than like challenging how creative or maybe that's just my point of view. Is that like every time you prepare for an interview, um, you there's there's definitely the step where you would try to Google some of the interview question. And there's definitely the step where you want to, you know, try to find an answer already out there to be, you know, the top five most common interview questions, you know, like everybody does it. Even all the books are recommending to to do that. When you prepare for a technical interview, they're always telling you like Google it, try to find as many examples out there. And if you're lucky, the interviewer is going to ask you that question. So like people do it just because they know there's a chance of success on that. Like it will help you go through with the job then like from what we literally were talking about in the past five minutes that like we shouldn't be doing this as in like the coach shouldn't be sharing it too much just because everybody's going to get standardized and we're all just going to be expecting that one of these answers that we study might be showing up on the interview test kind of thing you see where like this is my mindset from what we've been talking about this past you know couple of minutes um Mm -hmm. but i do agree that like the whole point is that from from the company's point of view is that you want somebody not only that is capable of doing the current task, but also being able to be creative enough and to think outside the box and be malleable and flexible to you know tackle the future tasks coming in because a lot of times the tasks are not defined yet. A company's problem we can have a new you know feature request in the next coming weeks and nobody knows how to do it, but you're very confident that the people that you hire are people that are you know capable of adapting and just going into it. So I think that's probably the important point as you're mentioning is that you want people to be able to you know. Uh, flexible on that. I keep on saying those words, but that's probably at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. that is sick. Um. So now I think we're just going to dive in a bit where uh, the first, I guess, point of view that we were talking about is that from the point of view of an interviewee, uh, let's just go through the different phases. Like even before getting to a technical interview, how do you even get a technical interview to begin with, if you know what I mean? So there's the application phase of so like a reaching out phase kind of thing. Um. Yeah, I guess, how how does a person, individual, Uh, should go about to reach out to a company or like a role they're interested in
1: i mean this is probably like the easy step out of all of those but but then it's like i don't know job boards um go on like linkedin just like submit a pdf of your resume to as many places as possible it's funny how you said
0: pdf as in like is there (laughs) is is there a, a reason why we don't send like you know docs or like any other formats or anything
2: Yeah, because sometimes if you have, like, Word docs, like, it gets formatted. Like, I don't have, like, Word processor, like, (laughs) on my machine. Like, I just have text edit, so it just looks like a table of garbage when people send, like, docx files. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, like, the standard in the industry is to actually send PDFs because almost every machine, like, renders the PDFs in a pretty similar manner.
0: Yeah, I mean, I had to point that out because I feel like nowadays I do see some, like, some people keep on submitting stuff with, like, just a editable like word docs or something I'm yeah. like, and i feel like the first time i ever wrote my cv or whatever i feel like that was like one thing that came up and I'm like okay so like you definitely got to do this but i think it's a refresher for a lot of people that if you're sending it as word doc don't do that uh, send- yeah <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: another important thing make sure you have your keywords on there for, <laughs> for whatever jobs you're applying like if you're applying for a back end like make sure to list the back end technologies that you're uh and even at the stage even if you've just like tinkered with it a little bit sometimes it's still good just to put that put that name on your resume or whatever technology so it actually matches like the resume algorithm that like actually sorts through a lot of these uh, a lot of these resumes
0: yeah it's it's a really good point how you mentioning like there's algorithms and they are also the manual bit right so like there's a manual person checking the the CVs obviously mm-hmm. uh, so from a manual person's point <laughs> like, manual person like, from a person's point of view um, It is good that if it's a technology that the company uses already and they end up seeing that on a cv like the level of confidence goes up a little bit right it's to your benefit Mm -hmm. of putting that stuff out there but at the same time you don't want to put like 70 of them on it
2: yeah i actually got a pretty interesting story about this like i read somewhere that someone basically created a pdf with like a bunch of buzzwords hidden inside the pdf (laughs) to basically match (laughs) all the algorithms that would sort based off of like do they know java or something and Obviously when a human starts reading the PDF they don't see it like they just see like the actual technologies that they know but basically it's a way to bypass all the all the resume sorting algorithms yeah
0: <laughs> was it you andy I wish yeah that's a pretty actually, clever way
2: to beat, yeah. beat the machine, right? If that's what they're looking for and that's to all they understand. The
0: <laughs> yeah. Wait, okay. we, we got to step back for like a couple of steps here. Like I'm pretty sure there might be people out there who are not familiar with this algorithm thing or like this, you know, why Why are we putting in keywords into CV? Can you just give us a little bit of like context as to what we're trying to...
2: Yeah, because human hours are really expensive and there's only like a limited number of human recruiters and they're much slower at looking at resumes than machines. So oftentimes, for larger companies, they'll have like they'll have software that basically looks at all the resumes and does keyword matching. So if they're looking for a Java candidate, they'll make sure Java appears inside uh, their resume at some point. Uh, and basically, to bypass these filters, like you can do these little clever things to bypass them to make sure it actually gets into the hands of a human recruiter. After that point, they could also still just filter you out, but.
0: At least you made it past the first stage <laughs> yeah, that's say. something <laughs> it's a really good tip as in like because a lot of people don't realize this but a lot of people don't even know that it's do you think that more than more than the majority if, if we talk about just the the bay area more than more than half of the companies use that kind of system do you think a lot of the, like the the job boards out there have a built-in automatic filter like that or is it the lesser common where they have a uh, automatic filtering for cvs and stuff
2: i'm not sure i'm not too familiar with uh ats's i've never really used them those are applicant tracking systems um,
0: yeah actually that was shouted out i had a another you know, episode previously with a tech recruiter and we talked about that a little bit so that was actually really cool oh, yeah i well, mean tie back yeah to go listen to the other one <laughs> exactly for that, the plug on that but um yeah that's a really good point because i was going to say uh i i i'd love to find out you know if more than half of the companies use that kind of filtering system but mm-hmm. i mean you don't lose anything for, you know, including some of those words in there to begin yeah. with. So I think that's probably one of the first tip that you know, you mentioned that's really good is that if you are building something, a CV or something to present to an opportunity that you're really interested in, check out what the technology is, make sure that what you're presenting to them is relevant to it, and that will definitely increase your chance at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. uh, I really do uh, like seeing it from that point of view. Um, and I think from what we were saying before Andy was mentioning like love like you know you got to send out to job boards and all that kind of stuff do you have like a system that you could recommend people how you know they should send five a day or like they should send like a hundred a day and see what sticks like from your experience or even just in general do you have any like tips to, to do that kind of stuff
1: I mean it kind of depends on like your experience level Like, um, if I were looking for a job right now, I'd probably be a lot more targeted. Like, I'd I'd probably be only willing to apply for jobs that I'm actually interested in. But then, like, when I was looking for my (laughs) first job, it's pretty much just get as much uh, applications out as possible. Like, if you think about it, applying, uh, putting in an application takes no more than, what, like, five minutes. So, in one day, you can probably do something like 100 or something like that.
0: I I really like the fact that you mentioned, like, it depends on your stage, you know? Like, if you're straight out of college or whatever and you're like yeah, you people want you me. basically <laughs> <laughs> but then when you look at the opposite like <laughs> i could choose what i want now <laughs> like, yeah. it's something very different um like a good engineer is hard to find there's a reason why they're in demand <laughs> well that's the thing the, like from the applicant's point of view a lot of people get like frustrated after sending like five applications out that they don't get any success and sometimes i'm like are you serious did you just say five <laughs> <laughs> like that um, big ego <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know maybe like from my experience I like every time I've uh, always reached out to, to, to an option whatever I've had like a system where um even five minutes I think I think it's too long to fill out an application mm-hmm. if it takes more than that then forget about not doing that but on average I probably sent out like maybe two to three hundred every time I've tried to like get a new opportunity so two three hundred like That's number so wise but I think <laughs> but the thing is like my contact was like different like for example, when I was uh, when I graduated and I was sending out all these applications, it wasn't just only in Montreal back where I live. It was like these applications that I wanted to test around the world. So mm, in terms nice. of like my pool of opportunity that I'm interested in, it was yeah. like much bigger. So one of the <laughs> one of the mindset was, you know, throw poop at a wall <laughs> and see what sticks. Um, and that was kind of like the approach and like even as somebody with not that many experience back then you still get more chance of opportunities just because you're willing to throw out more stuff out there and see like, and then you get a bit of choice at the end of the day. So that's kind of how I saw it. But um, I think that was kind of my process is just like throw many out there. You don't really lose anything other than the fact that if you apply like 500 times to the same company and then they saw <laughs> I don't know if they actually track how many times you apply to it, but that might not be the best idea. Uh, but yeah, I'm interested what, what, what kind of system you, you have or had back then when you were doing stuff then.
2: I think when I first started applying, I probably... I went like, like the shotgun approach. I was like, I'll take anything just to, <laughs> just to get in. Just, I just want to learn some stuff. Uh, but now, nowadays I'm like pretty targeted. Like I want to spend time focusing and prepping for companies I'm actually interested in. I think last time I probably only applied to like 10 to 15 places. And that way I can like stay focused um, and just like spend most of my time actually studying, prepping for like these interviews
0: that's actually great um just because you can see the evolution of it um at the end of the day but the thing is like i still wouldn't be surprised if next time i ever do anything crazy like that like there's a i'm the kind of person that's like there's nothing wrong sending 500 out there (laughs) but then you have the time like yeah i was gonna say time is one of the biggest (laughs) factors yeah it depends on what you want to spend your
2: time on like if you're confident you're gonna get one within let's say 10 like um and you know all 10 of those are like companies you're very interested in why send another like 50 out to companies that you wouldn't really want to accept an offer from unless the first 10 like decline didn't want you
0: yeah um, yeah that's a yeah i could totally agree with that um the thing is how how do you choose these opportunities as like we we're mentioning like there's different opportunities the things like a lot of it depends on if you're actually you know you live up to the task right you can't just apply to something that is completely not your field and like it doesn't you're not gonna be able to <laughs> do it so what are different like parameters? I'll give an example. Um, some of them require like three, four years of experience, for example, and then you clearly don't have that. My question would be, Do you, should you still try to apply for it or should you just skip them and not consider that as a possible solution?
1: Well, I mean, you should definitely still try to apply for it because I, I think you wouldn't have any opportunities if you filtered all those out as a junior. I think every job requires <laughs> three to five years of experience.
2: Yeah, there are very few. I, I think like years, Yours are generally kind of like a guideline on it. I know like recruiters sometimes they filter on it, but if if you can get your resume in the hands of a re- recruiter and it looks really good, like oh, all the technologies match, it seems like your experiences matches up with what they actually want in an engineer, I'm sure they'll if if you're like a year below or 2 years below, like, you know, 3 to s- 7 years and but you still have done a lot of cool stuff, like I'm sure they'll still pass you on to the next round.
0: Yeah. So that's one of one like, I'd love to hear, or, like, even just to point out, is that, like, even if you think you're slightly underqualified in terms of, like, years or whatever, there's nothing bad in terms of trying it, just because, as you were saying, like, if you present yourself in a really good way, and then you could even, like, maybe punch a little bit higher than, than your weight at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it might pay off, so don't stop yourself from, you know.
2: Yeah, if someone's asking for, like, a senior role, and <laughs> you just started, like, obviously, that's not a match, <laughs> but if it's, like, you know... If it's kind of in the gray
0: area, like, definitely go for it. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to point out there, because um, I definitely have done that. I feel like a lot of times, like, when I was checking out roles, like, if I was missing, like, you know, a year or two, even though it's not the best indicator, still do it anyways, because I have been reached out whenever I did that. So I was like, eh, it definitely yeah. paid off. So if you have any doubt, if it's a gray area, as Sam was mentioning, just do it. <laughs> You'll be fine. Shout out to Nike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing that is actually really relevant for, like, you know, people... Uh, applying for tech job is uh, the stack i guess as you were saying when we were coming out of college or coming out of you know any education system you you don't really know what you want you don't even know if you want to be an infra- infrastructure engineer you don't know if you want to be a database engineer You know, if you want to be a web dev going to be any of that um how, how do people choose is the approach just like try to throw out as much as you can and see what picks you as opposed to what picks them or i don't know what's your take on this
1: yeah, I mean, I'm definitely in the boat where you just like apply to whatever, like doesn't really matter what like the tech stack is or like the uh, experience. Like, it's really not your job to filter yourself out. It's it's the company's job. So you know, just let them take care <laughs> of that. Let them decide. That's a good perspective. Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't filter yourself out. Exactly. out. Before yeah. they
2: filter <laughs> They're actually yeah. getting there's paid already to so many out. filters. Yeah. You don't need to do any filtering. Yeah. <laughs> That's their
0: job. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually quite funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's 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 the way the way I'm seeing this is that like it's because a lot of the technologies that I've used during university, like I did CS right, and like we'd be building a lot of stuff with like Java and a lot of stuff with like you know uh, C and everything. I don't do any of that nowadays. Like a lot of the roles that I've ended up doing the past couple of years, that like if I relied on the fact that I'm only going to filter myself on the fact that I've done a bit of Java and a bit of like C during school, then I'm only going to apply to like jobs that only use the technology my doors would have been closed by like a lot, well, a lot more than it has been. So I think that's uh, something that I've always thought about is that like, okay, you should be open to having the technology choose you at the end. I ended up being in web dev because I think that's kind of like the first few roles that popped up and like kind of fit with the companies were really cool and I really enjoyed it. So then nowadays I do a lot of web dev. Mm -hmm. But for the people that are, you know, have a couple more experience into doing this is that... You shouldn't obviously close your door. Even though you've been doing web dev for the past couple of years, you shouldn't stop yourself from getting another role of, oh, uh, this stack is fully, you know, Scala, for example. Then if you're really interested into it and, you know, the mission of company is that, go for it. That's something that I would always see as something as improvement to that. So um, that's, I guess, how I look at tech stacks and if you should filter yourself out to apply or not onto it. Um,
2: I think when you're, especially when you're like a junior engineer, like, I don't think like recruiters like need to look very much at like their previous tech stack because it's more about can they actually learn like what's their level of aptitude and can they learn something. Even for senior level positions, I think you should still kind of keep that mindset that like you just want to hire really smart people. You, and if their experience like in terms of languages doesn't always line up, that's still fine because oftentimes languages are languages are easy, easy to pick up or at least most of them. Um, there's a lot of parallels between them. It's more about like coding fundamentals.
0: Yeah, which means that when you're, I, I'm just piggybacking, uh, piggybacking, sorry, off of uh, what you're saying is that when you're building a profile or something that you want to show people, like I guess the emphasis on the fact that you're able to pick up a new language, as opposed to saying that you're a master at a language to begin with, mm-hmm. just because uh, what you just described is literally that. Is that like from the interviewer or like from whatever the recruiter's point of view is that they don't expect the person to be already mastering whatever language it is, they want somebody who's able to, you know, solve algorithms in any language. So the importance, the emphasis should definitely be more of that when you present a CV or anything that you're describing at the end. Um, but yeah, dude, we, we spoke a lot about just the application phase. This is like not even like getting in contact with anybody, but if you kind of do those applications in these kind of way, and like from what I've seen those, you would get replies to it. And then that kind of brings you to the next phase. Right. Where most of the time, if you've reached out to them, uh, they will come back, and that's something that you know that will pro- you know that you want to see at the end of the day. Um, it's funny how Andy was saying that the easiest phase at the beginning was just sending out the application because most of the time it's true because you don't really lose anything. Or the time sink is not in the application phase. The time sink is everything after. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: the next phase we got is like the you know the phone call stage, the initial phone call where you get either directly from the hiring manager or the recruiter. Um, how, how to beat that like how, how do you get a good first phone call and uh you know got any tips for it i think it's kind of hard to fail this phase yeah. <laughs> usually
2: <laughs> it's like I'm a saying. 10 15 minute phone call yeah. with like a recruiter as long as you don't come off as like an ass <laughs> and like you 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 have like somewhat decent questions and can answer their questions to a certain degree I've, I've actually also had, like, recruiters at this phase, like, give, like, a very quick technical screen where they'll just ask a bunch of different terms and see if, like, you actually know those terms. I think this was, like, from Coinbase or something. Um, but usually this phase is, like, pretty pretty short and it's pretty easy if, like, you're semi. <laughs> technically competent Do <laughs> you agree with that Adi,
1: or... yeah I mean you probably don't even need to be tech- technically competent at this yeah time. that's true just don't be an ass <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think for my experience it's, it's fairly yeah it's of totally the same as of, like a lot of times like when they ask questions they're more generic questions like the recruiter would be like oh uh, how did you hear about us So like they'll ask very generic stuff uh, for me it was kind of like some of the questions were about visas as well so I had to obviously sort that out oh, yeah that bit. Or else going would be going down the line um, but there are the off case where some of them, the slightly harder, harder ones, as you were saying, like they'll start throwing in these like slightly half technical question from somebody that you wouldn't expect them to be like a uh, mm-hmm. technical. But the things like a technical recruiter exists as well, so like that's a you know more subset of what's going on. But those were the kind of phase where it's like they will ask you questions in terms of like how how do you like manage your your work at the moment, or how do you manage your tickets, or some stuff like that, and like those are a little bit more in depth. But I feel like that's a smaller Minority of the interview, I agree with you that if you know the fundamentals of like what your objective is, how did you find out about the company, uh, how do you work if you're ready to describe it, uh, and you don't sound like an ass at all in any of them, this phase should be pretty straightforward. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think about any pitfalls other than being an ass, just so that <laughs> you know something more concrete for you know people to learn <laughs> off of. Is uh, I think be concise. Don't don't speak mm-hmm. more than not enough. Because then you'll just be rambling on and, like, it's a lot of information that, you know, might, I guess, not be relevant for, for the role.
2: Yeah, I feel like you have to talk yourself out of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's, you're not, they're not, look they're just looking for any red flags, like, and if there are any red flags, like, you'll be screened out. But otherwise, know, know your answers to, like, the questions that you, like, know how to describe your work, what kind of work that you're working on in a very general sense, not in, like, a technical sense, and you should be good.
0: Perfect. And then I wouldn't be surprised that after the first uh, call from a recruiter, sometimes they will also set up another call with the hiring manager, which is probably somebody more directly involved in the team you're going to be working in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's fair to say that one it's slightly harder than the first uh, recruiter phone call, or do you guys uh, have any reason to think that it's just as you know doable as the first call?
2: Uh I forget if I have too many of these calls. I definitely remember the calls with a recruiter. I think a lot of times sometimes there's a hiring manager but usually it's kind of an expansion on the on the questions that the recruiter was asking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe it's similar, but it's a person that you might be interacting with more, so maybe take it more seriously. (laughs) If you do get hired, (laughs) (laughs) you don't want to come off with a bad impression with someone that you're working closely with. Definitely don't be an ass to that person. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. don't be an ass, but definitely don't be an ass (laughs) ass to the next person. (laughs) Because I think they also determine your comp (laughs) at the end if you do get an offer. So, you know. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean that's not important, right? <laughs> that's actually. Yeah. I'm glad you pointed Double out. Double down on the don't be an ass. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of glad that every phase before this, it's fine if you be a little bit an ass, but like at that point, no, not a bit anymore. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just pointed that out because I think it happened a couple of times when I was doing like a uh, the first initial, you know, contact phase. I've had the recruiter, and then I get another phone call from a hiring manager, and I wasn't expecting it. I thought it was gonna go straight to the challenge, but mm-hmm. it was just another phone call. I'm like, oh, all right, well. I'll have to you know make up more stuff well not make up more stuff i'll have to like describe more of how i work and a bit more you know relevance in terms of like technology stack how you work on a team with other engineers and all that so that's usually what the second phone call would be is how they see you like actually day-to-day life as an engineer uh do you use stack overflow a lot do you google a lot most of the time i feel like if you say yes to those questions it's a good sign <laughs> that's how i would see it uh but i mean a lot of people get debate about that <laughs> and, um but what's actually juicy though the juicy bit is that if ever we go through these stages so far the application and then the initial phone calls and everything if all that goes well most of the time you will be sent uh, a challenge whether it's a take-home or a on-site uh yeah do you guys have a preference in terms of like take-home versus on-sites and i guess for the people who don't know what's the difference what what exactly are the two two kinds there
1: um, the take-home is usually just like, uh, well, like a like a technical challenge that you do on your own time. Like you have like a, I don't know, a limited amount of time to do like two hours or something. And the onsite is what like the the last stage. I think um, I prefer just like the shortest interview process possible. And the onsite is definitely the uh, required part of it. So from that, I like the onsite better. I don't know.
2: I think like usually from what I experience, it's like a take home or like a phone call mm-hmm. to solve like a small coding problem. Um, and sometimes there are time take homes and sometimes there are like more like time open-ended take homes. Usually, I'm with Andy, I usually prefer like anything that's shorter. Like if it's like a large take home, there have been companies that I just stopped their process because like I didn't have the time to or I didn't want to spend, invest yeah. that time into like the companies problem that you know maybe they were like lower down on my list of priority companies that i wanted an offer from uh in terms of like the on-site yeah that's usually like a required portion of most modern day technical interviews i don't think people really skip those these days
0: yeah it's funny because like there's a lot of um there's combinations right there's as we mentioned we could have either one or we could most of them only have the on-site because that's probably the more crucial bit
2: yeah sometimes people skip like the take home and the phone calls i think especially if you're like slightly overqualified for a position maybe they'll just bring you directly on site if you have like a good conversation with the hiring manager or recruiter beforehand
0: and from the interview interviewee's point of view that's like definitely to your advantage because you, you know you just skip a couple of phases and like
2: yeah it's less time <laughs>
0: yeah i think time is a really good factor i've had different like cases where the take home uh for example one of them was like two hours so i had two hours to do a take home so they'll tell me on that but then another time you would have like oh yeah, just send it back to us in like a week. Or like send it, send it yeah, back to us the in like open-ended ones. <laughs> so the thing is like, yeah, I, I kind of see the appeal. I, it counts as a filter to see if you, you know, uh, you could already assess how they make their project or like what they code in. Uh, that's already a good indicator. But the thing is like, if you give them that much time, there's totally a chance for them to be like, oh, can I just get somebody else to do it for me? Or, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> So I've seen that happen for the take-homes where it's like, it's a, it's not as accurate if you're going to give that much time to somebody.
2: I think that's why we have a time limit on ours it kind of mm-hmm. prevents more cheating <laughs> <laughs> unless <laughs> they're very efficient yeah. Yeah. Or... <laughs> i mean no. technically even with two hours you could find someone to do it for you but it's probably kind of difficult unless you ask your friend ahead of time
0: mm-hmm. yeah um i want to give a couple of examples of like what kind of take home do you have so one of the one that i've received uh, a while ago is um i, w- I was running some ui components and i think one of the challenges was basically it was like a bank UI kind of thing. And we had to figure out like mortgages and numbers has to like change depending on who's loaning and all that. Uh, that was a take-home challenge. I remember. And the thing is like, they don't specify uh, more than just like the initial task. So like they'll, they'll be like this uh, UI needs to do this, but then they won't specify like, Oh, you got to write tests. You got to write all that kind of stuff. So I think from my experiences, is uh, the ones that I've, I guess I've, like i've done well is that like you always do a little bit more than you should have i remember writing like react tests on top of like the requirements just because you know why not yeah, to take show off yeah exactly <laughs> i think that's basically what i'm trying to say is that like during that take-home test that is like you have more than enough time to be showing off if you have you know more time to do it so uh that's basically i guess my experience is that if ever i did do a take-home that i thought was worth the time uh, i would definitely do more than enough but i have seen take-homes that are so massive that takes so much time and i'm like what why <laughs> like why am i doing why am i doing this and all yeah. the just I had down. one that
2: was pretty open ended it was like an orchestration platform and if you can imagine that's pretty generic <laughs> like it's like how do you it's i don't know if you guys are familiar with airflow but it was basically like try to implement like a basic version of like apache airflow which is like a workflow orchestration
0: so did they framework. actually give you like concrete data to work with or they just like no, no just, they're just like i want to see like if
2: you can build like <laughs> I think this was more like a problem around if you could think very abstractly and like very generalized like a problem, like make something that's like abstract enough to be used in like a lot of different cases. But yeah, yeah it's definitely like, like very open-ended problems as opposed to like close-ended ones. One was like, there's a bunch of, it's like a multiple sources of temporal logs and then you have to sort them across multiple. And I think like the solution was like implement like a heap when, okay, when yeah. sorting the logs from different sources.
0: That makes um, sense because i feel like a lot of the times <laughs> one of the other one that i've seen is like oh build a web scraper like i think it's like, <laughs> yeah i think i've i've seen that one <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is like i've seen that multiple different companies as well so like as far as i know like it's quite it's quite a popular one i guess So if anybody is trying to prepare for anything that might be a good one but um but yeah as, as i as I, I was literally just uh, just mentioning preparing how do you prepare for like uh either a take-home or like an on-site what, what are some of the thing that uh you know future prospects should be looking at
1: i think it's good to ask a company about like what the onsite or or technical um or the take-home stuff is about because like they're usually willing to actually give you information like a little bit of detail to kind of like give you a study guide but then you're not going to get that information if you don't ask
2: yeah that's true i usually don't prep too much for like take-homes and like the initial phone calls just because um, I, i just find like it's it's a better use of my time to spend that time like prepping for on-sites um in terms of how i prep for on-sites usually i try to solve a few problems in the morning before like i go to the interview and prior to that on a larger time scale i try to like do like
0: ctci and problems and whatnot. that's actually a really good just get you know the mental math going or like the mental juice going before uh yeah
2: you don't want to go in cold sometimes yeah
0: you gotta like mentally warm up a little bit before you go in Um, it's really popular nowadays where there's those resources online to to, you know interview questions or whatever do you guys have any like ones that you've used before that you found was quite cool that you know deserves a shout out or something
1: Leetcode right
2: Leetcode's
0: pretty good which Um, one is that sorry Leetcode how do you spell that L-E-E-T code I've never heard of
2: it am I it's it's a pretty common platform Um, I think it's it's made by Gail the author of CTCI like cracking the coding interview
0: i think I'm so sure. how it's how somewhere. interactive is it though like was it just a list of questions that you do on your own or is it actually like it gives you a pretty ui that lets you type into it or well, it's not a pretty ui but <laughs> <laughs> it's uh there's a lot of different problems they get categorized like easy medium
2: hard like so you can go through and like solve uh, usually i think there are like certain time limits that you want to hit like when solving these problems like you should be able to solve like a medium problem in 20 minutes or something to be able to solve like a hard problem in like 45 minutes and different companies i know different companies definitely pull their problems <laughs> from that set of problems but it's a very large set so they kind of fall more under like the toy coding problems okay type problems they're not really there are some system design problems in there but i think mostly people use them for like algorithm
0: type problems that's pretty sick because i mean even even me working after a couple of years i've never heard of it i'm like oh maybe i should check that out because uh it could definitely help, but even when we're talking about people who don't even have that much experience to begin with, that is probably a good point to start with, because then mm-hmm. you'll be exposed to you know the way to think about different algorithms, sorry, and all that. Um, but I agree with you that you know nowadays, if you've been working as like you know in as a software engineer for a couple of years, you don't need that much time to prepare because a lot of the stuff that you do daily reflects what you should know, like the algorithm, implementing all that. So I kind of agree that doesn't require as much, you know, boot starting. You could start cold from like a shorter period of time than yeah. previously on it. Um, but yeah, I think in general, like most of the preparations is basically that. It's uh, one of the other one that I remember seeing online, I think it's like Euler's Problems or something like that. So it's a, it's a website that basically has a lot of these algorithm question where it's like, implement like factorial or something. Or like they'll, they'll ask a lot of like questions on computer science-y theories. Yeah. Um, my my question is probably like i i did a cs degree so i feel like i'm very fortunate to be able to been exposed to these kinds of stuff but for the people that don't have that kind of background that study that in school and you're getting thrown these like prep questions how how should you go about it just because you don't have the educational you know exposure to what a recursion is or or what uh, currying is or what a functional programming language is like
1: I mean I think if you're looking to be an engineer even if you don't have a CS degree you should find some way to learn that stuff. It's, it seems like a, like a core fun, it seems like it's like a core fundamental. I don't know there's like there's a lot of resources online you can like watch videos of like actual CS classes and stuff.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people that have taken the non-traditional path like if they want to be good engineers or they have a desire oftentimes it they'll like like me, like I, I feel like I scammed my way into a job and then afterwards I backfilled that into the, the <laughs> knowledge I was, I was missing. But that backfill portion is important if you ever do want to like become better. Like you can't just be, you know, you can't, you can't code without understanding data structures. <laughs>
0: Trust me, I got to see degree and I do, I do the backfill as well, so as far as I know. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everyone should backfill the information that they're kind of missing. Yeah. That's actually pretty good. And I just want to go back to one of the point when Andy was saying that, like, if you actually ask for the, uh, what the structure of the on site would look like, or what the structure of the take home would look like that a hundred percent is, I, I feel like it's a must do nowadays. Uh, if you want to have a good chance of going into it, because a lot of times people are more than happy. It gives a, it already gives them an impression to them that you're willing to you know reach out and get your own research, all that kind of stuff. So that's good. And uh, most of them, they have broken this down because, uh, if you're looking at onsite specifically, there's multiple steps on an onsite. It was rare for, for me to see an onsite that doesn't have multiple steps. So they'll usually, um, if ever they have sent you a take home, they will ask you to review your take home. So uh, they'll kind of ask you to describe why did you implement it that way kind of thing. So that's one of the steps I've seen when they, they do during an onsite. Another thing that they would usually do sorry, during an onsite is uh, ask you probably to expand what you did at your take home so that kind of validates the fact that you you were the one that kind of worked on a take home and you're able to actually do work that's relevant to you know what's going on over there and um yeah what are the other stuff that they would ask you during the onsites
2: well i again i think that usually gets broken down into like a couple categories like usually there are like kind of there are closer to toy problems but i think people as they become better companies become better at giving out more practical problems usually they're like toy problems that you can do they're like it's easier to grade at like a graded level as opposed to like you either get it or you don't Um, so there's like room for expansion and doing well on the problem if they finish parts of the problem earlier there's always like another part of the problem to solve Um, so those are kind of like the toy problems that i find and then there's like more usually i get like two or three of those and then there's like a system design one. And the system design one usually tests like your general knowledge coding like whether you've actually coded stuff up in like a scalable way uh, whether you've set up systems and like in an orthodox way that actually works um, you can see like how happy people are usually in in that stage uh, yeah and then there's the behavioral part you does not really fall under technical
0: interviews but are they a weirdo? That's what yeah. we <laughs> Are one they again. an ass? And that that one you definitely don't want to be an ass <laughs> on either on site. <laughs> oh yeah, that's also a very uh, standard technical interview term, by the way. Are they an ass? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, I think they call it culture fit, but you know <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. And um, there's another thing that actually uh, people talk about a lot during on-sites is uh, whiteboard versus actual coding. Do you have like a preference on you know? doing one versus the other do you prefer just having a whiteboard and going at it or do you actually like having a computer and tap 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 and show show the actual code
1: i prefer the whiteboard because like uh because the code doesn't actually have to run <laughs> so it's like your your performance is basically tied to how good the other engineer is like your interviewer if your interviewer is bad and like you know doesn't understand the code then it'll it'll make it a lot easier for you andy with the real talk man. <laughs>
2: That's true. I've definitely felt that. Like, I, I still think I have a slight preference to coding like on the laptop, just because more used to it. But I do like whiteboard interviews just because of the fact that you don't get bogged down in the details, right? Just because it doesn't compile, if like the the primary parts of the logic makes sense, then uh, it passes. And of course, if your interviewer is like very good, like you'll still need to solve like those detailed parts, and that might make it slightly more difficult. If, you're not as good as them in debugging your own code because it lo- looks really bad if you can't debug your own code before
0: like the other person has. Um, yeah, and I think the uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I don't know what's my preference. I kind of I feel like I'm more of a whiteboard person at the end of the day. Like I like a big picture guy. I yeah, <laughs> I think you've seen me do that a lot. Like I a lot of times I just draw stuff. Like nowadays. Um, and it's not even just because I want to, like, ace an interview. It's because I literally just draw stuff all the time anyways, whenever I do anything. So big boxes, big fonts. That's <laughs> that's my kind of lifestyle. Um, there was uh, There's a common tip, actually. I don't know if you guys have heard this, but whenever people prepare for uh, technical interviews, they say that you should be talking a lot. You should be explaining your thoughts as you go. Um, do you think it's advantageous to do it or not? I'll, I'll, I'll give myself an, ex- an ex- Sorry, as an example. When... Um, when I do on-site interviews uh, and I go through a bit of code, I tend to repeat stuff. Like I tend to look at stuff. And if I'm stuck at something, I'll, I'll repeat the question to myself. And sometimes uh, the, the interview would be like, why are you asking the question again? I'm like, no, sorry, I'm talking to myself just so I, <laughs> just so I know that I'm asking the same thing. Do you think that it's You're a- rubber ducking yourself. <laughs> Literally. Behind the screen, there's actually a rubber <laughs> yeah. duck as well. I'll be yeah. like, <laughs> um, yeah, so I was going to say, do you think it's advantageous for the interviewee to be actually speaking out loud to- thought process as they're doing the onsite.
2: i i have a correlation just with my interviews i think people that talk too much generally do worse (laughs) uh and it's just a correlation that's not to say like you can't talk a lot and do well but oftentimes people that talk a lot generally do worse i think maybe they're having a hard time like just structuring the thoughts in their mind i think if you talk too much it almost like conflicts with you just sitting there and thinking about the problem a little bit i think some people that feel really nervous, like they'll just talk too much. And sometimes it's better to say nothing if you're just gonna say a bunch of wrong stuff. Like it's it's easier for me not to mark you down if you just don't say anything, as opposed to if you say like incorrect things, right? Um, but I think there, obviously, if you do wanna talk enough in which, when you do get stuck, right? So I think it's good to like have a medium there. Like talk when you are stuck and converse with like the person interviewing you and oftentimes interviewers like they want you to succeed like they they want to find reasons why you're good enough right don't don't think of them as like the enemy (laughs) um yeah so and they'll oftentimes answer a lot of the questions that you actually give them so you know human human nature kind of just
0: do you you see that that kind of happening uh quite often for you andy
1: um kind of this uh i don't know uh (laughs) I think, I think talking a lot is good. I think you actually try to talk as much as possible. Like, obviously, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say it. But then, like...
0: <laughs> yeah, don't talk yourself into a corner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, fun- it's funny because Ani just doesn't listen to the interviewee anyways. <laughs> they just talk and Ani's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> no, <I'm> <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> now, you're definitely thorough with what, what you hear and what you, what you do whenever you're sitting on those. And then, like, they start talking. Like, if the interview, from the interviewee's point of view if you know you're saying stuff that is constructive and it helps you get to the next step and it helps you justify why you did the previous step, I think it's more than good that you're saying them out loud because sometimes when you're looking just at the code, it's not always obvious to see why did you put this here? Or why did you define it this way? So the talking bit, I guess a lot of it is just so that you could justify or like strengthen what you did if you are going the right path. If you, if you were going the wrong path and you strengthen this path of like really bad practices or whatever, that might not be advantageous at the end of the day. I actually think it's the opposite.
2: Oftentimes, like if you're doing the right thing, like I, I know why you're doing the right thing. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt if you don't say <laughs> anything and you're doing the right thing because, you know, it, it looks right. But if you're trying to like justify something that's wrong, obviously that's bad. But also when, you, when you're when you running into issues, like you should talk more because you actually need help more, right? Mm-hmm. And the interviewer is there to actually assist you through the, through the process. Like, they can ask you leading questions to kind of put you back on, like, the right path. But if there's so much signal and you're just constantly talking, I don't actually know when to say anything to actually help you, right? Like, I don't know. It's It can also be hard to interject between, like, your thought process to give you helpful advice. Yeah, so that's why I think, like, sometimes talking too much might not be, uh, like, that great for you as an
0: interviewer. I, I totally agree with that because I, I was just about to say that, like, some people might find it, not not embarrassing, but like they feel like they shouldn't be asking like dumb questions. Not dumb questions, but like they I shouldn't ask be asking questions. For, <laughs> They shouldn't be asking for help. As in like mm-hmm. as an interviewee, they feel like if you ask for help, it shows that you don't know anything and like you shouldn't do that. But the thing is like you were really making the emphasis, whereas like the interviewer is there to obviously to assess it, but if they see that they're able to commu- talk to you and see that you're able to listen what they're saying and then yeah click in your mind the next step. be like oh yeah this makes a lot of sense and then you're and then you just keep on going on your way after that that's a huge pro yeah that that like i've seen that happen like it's a hundred percent a bonus so um don't don't be afraid to ask questions but obviously avoid asking like the really 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 dumb questions <laughs> yeah um, but and i think like as we we're saying like you wouldn't get too much like i guess points docked from not knowing a specific uh feature of a language, I guess. Like if you didn't know a language, couldn't do specifically this uh, whatever assignment or whatever, like mm-hmm. I don't think that's a big minus most of the time. Most of the interviewers are very aware mm-hmm. that you're not going to know the every single possible feature of like JavaScript or whatever. So Yeah, it's like a plus if you know like all the esoteric <laughs> things of a, of
2: a programming language, but if you don't, that's fine. Yeah. All right, so that's
0: pretty cool. We, I think we've uh, wrapped up a lot of stuff in terms of like the actual challenges as we go I think ideally after this point if you know you've done really really well and everything you'll you'll get you know some good news after it and the good news was most most of the time would be uh, an offer some positive approval of you know the the company that says oh we, we definitely want you on board and like you know uh, there's more discussion talking I think this is more politics now like when you get to that stage a lot of it is politics um, what I'm interested actually uh, in hearing your opinion is uh, how how do you tackle this phase how do you tackle a phase of okay you received a good response from them after you've done all the challenges and everything what is your immediate thought after it after that
2: after you've received an offer yeah Mm -hmm. after
0: receiving your first offer
2: your first offer (laughs) (laughs) uh well usually you want to have multiple offers on hand because that's when like negotiating actually becomes powerful if you have one offer usually if you don't want to lie usually you should wait on other offers and Mm -hmm. you can usually tell the first company like oh i'm waiting on some other companies and they'll probably try to pressure you in terms of time because that's their job to make you accept their offer before you have any other ones
0: yeah it's funny how i said first offer like I kinda of meant first offer from that one company, as yeah. like an offer could give you multiple offers oh. or <laughs> I assumed you'd get one offer from the company. <laughs> well, I mean that's not always true though. It's like you could have absolutely flubbed, you know, the company and then do that. Um we'll give but you yeah. like a lower ranking job or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, we're not gonna hire you for this, we'll hire you for the janitor. <laughs> yeah. Um but it is thank god that you pointed out the fact that you should be doing a lot of these interviews like in parallel. You shouldn't wait till the outcome of one company and then start the process of another company. A lot of these, when we're sending out applications, you should be doing a lot of them at the same time. I'm not surprised for somebody to be doing like five technical interviews, five days in a row, just -hmm. to be efficient to do it. So I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, But yeah, in terms of like, you know, different parts of, if you're happy with the offer, the first offer, obviously take it, you're going to be happy with it. But um, is that, is that like... Never be happy with the first offer. (laughs) always go back <laughs> has that always been your experience sandy or like what What was your take on after you know hearing good news from uh, post challenges
1: well the best thing to do with an offer is to do nothing with it at first so just like sit on it for a week kind of play like hard Interesting. to get.
2: <laughs> do they let you sit on it for a week what yeah, do you that's... usually tell them
1: you... I'll, I'll, I'll just tell them that i'm thinking about it it takes it takes a lot of time it to takes decide. a week to think about it yeah i mean yeah. like a job yeah. is a big deal that's like a whole third of your life that's true
0: dude yeah I like I 100% agree with what Andy was saying also just because of the fact that like a lot of times when I change job I change job in a different country so like I have the excuse of like give me some time to think about it because I gotta uproot a lot of stuff I don't know what your excuse was Andy but (laughs) it's
1: a big commitment a job is huge it's like straight up a third of your whole life so right, maybe I'll try that next time
2: like I usually say I'm waiting on other companies I need to see what their offer is before I can make a decision and usually they'll try to i like andy's
0: approach because he doesn't explicitly say it either as yeah it's like, actually you...
2: pretty good because i think when i say it the recruiter feels pressured they're like oh another offer is gonna come in like i gotta tell them there's only two days left mm-hmm. like and then i get time pressured to like accept or reject the offer yeah and he's just chilling he's on, <laughs> yeah, his, like, he's on his throat I gotta, I gotta think about that one <laughs> that
0: one's i like that philosophy say less <laughs> yeah, yeah well i'm glad we're doing this. So <laughs> Um, and then, like, after that happens, uh, when you wait for a bit or when you, you know, kind of have the first initial talk, then that's where, like, the second dog happens. The conversation happens, right? Because when you get given an offer, that's, like, you know, kind of like a monologue. That's what they're saying. We're going to give you this. We're going to give you that. But then when the conversation happens, that's when you kind of get the say to be, like, are you happy or not happy with it? Um, how do you gauge that? How do you, feel, how do you come back in terms of, like, putting yourself in a better spot without, you know, Completely blowing it out of park and not having the offer crumble at the end of the day What do you mean
2: by offer crumble
0: as in like if you come back with something completely outrageous and they're like "Nah," (laughs) They just say no, right?
1: Yeah, it's like it's very difficult to to get a company to pull back their offer
0: Yeah,
2: they just won't like acquiesce like whatever (laughs) you're asking for that's
0: actually a really good mental point as in like by the time you get to this point is that like you've cleared so many good points and so many approvals that you're kind of a bit in the driver's seat right Mm -hmm. you should have the confidence behind you um it's i i feel like it's really hard to say for somebody that's gotten their first offer like straight out of school and like they see this and like they don't really realize that they're in the driver's seat at that point Mm -hmm. but also it's not completely true because what happens if like they have multiple of more junior people coming in and like if you don't accept it then they're willing to take the risk to get another one or they have other candidates that are waiting if ever the first one doesn't happen so
2: yeah i don't think people really neg on like offers very often from the company side unless you know they find something that's like very suspect Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) yeah i think that's a really good point um i didn't fully realize that like for the people that have a couple of experience is that if you've cleared all these challenges you're on a good spot. Like you could, You're could, you more than happy to have this conversation and I feel like you should no matter what. At that mm-hmm. point, you should be, you know, put your thoughts out there. Don't say too much as we were talking about this <laughs> whole time, but definitely uh, mention at the end. And um, I think a really good point is that uh, by this point, you're actually talking to the recruiter. Again, you're not really talking directly to uh, the hiring managers or any of the engineers that interview you during that point. Um, the question for you, I guess, for you guys, do you think the recruiter has that much power in terms of like, deciding how much more you could get or
2: i think the hiring manager has all the power the recruiter might just be like
0: the voice piece mm-hmm. of the hiring manager it it's actually so funny I, I don't know if it's true i've spoken to different recruiters and, I've, and i feel like some of them do say that they do have an influence on it mm-hmm. as in, like a recruiter could make a case to make it easier for that you know maximum or whatever you could get out of it so um
2: oh so double don't be an ass to the recruiter as well. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: always assumed
2: they they just kind of parroted whatever the hiring manager said. They just kind of were like the proxy yeah. between you and...
0: Dude, I'm telling you about the messenger. The messenger <laughs> could like report another message yeah. at the end of the day, so... This guy's an ass. Don't give him an offer. <laughs> <laughs> <So, laughs> I'm glad we're debunking all of this. So, um, but yeah, I think that's, that usually concludes like the whole loop at this point. If you manage to have a really good conversation at that point and everybody's happy, all the parties are happy and you get a acceptance, then... Everybody's happy, you know. I keep I just say that's that you're happy with what you got, and then the company's happy, obviously, because they you know made a decision on you, and then uh, you could keep on working, building off that. But I mean, not to say that the the opposite happens sometimes that you just can't agree to an agreement and uh, stuff falls apart, and nobody nobody gets hired, and then you go on your own merry way. So um, I guess that kind of closes the loop in terms of like the interviewee's point of view. Uh, we're just gonna have a quick one from the other side, from the interviewer's point of view of. Uh, quick easy steps to make what makes it easier for an interviewer to go through the stage because as we were mentioning it's a very time sink for both parties for the interviewer you may, you're going to look at this where it's like oh I got to plan this whole thing out where I got to go to the on sites I got to do this take home at home and everything but there's also quite a significant time sink for the interviewer or like the hiring company just because uh, what was the number that we I think we mentioned back ago, it's really expensive to hire an engineer because of how much time the company sync to, to recruit them and like reach out for it was it something like twenty thousand for like a Bay Area yeah, it's company? Yeah, like tens of
2: thousands for um, engineer.
0: Yeah, to hire an engineer. So not even for like paying them their salary to begin with. It's like just a process mm-hmm. of counting the hours and everything. So I think it's good to put a little bit of color in terms of why a company uh, finds it so difficult to hire somebody or like finds it so hard. Why is it so expensive to it? So I guess from the point of view of an interviewer in the first recruiting phase, or whatever. Um, what what would be something that I guess. They're looking... I mean, we talk about the uh, the filtering bit, where it helps them to save a bit of time just because if the technology is not right, they're not going to reach out and uh, it's going to save them a bit of time. Um, is there any other way for an interviewer or like a hiring manager or a recruiter for them to be more efficient at talking to potential candidates?
1: Like, yeah, when, I mean. like when they're sourcing candidates? Or what do you mean?
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's more like... We, I mean, it's easier for us to probably see it as like a technical hiring manager. What kind of questions... Could we ask interviewees that will instantly be like no we don't want them at the end of the day as you're saying like (laughs) because i think like when you're pointing out like oh yeah don't be an ass kind of thing like there are questions that like they ask to make you kind of gauge for how they they do i think the biggest like x or like the biggest red flag is like if the hiring manager asks something about not how do you how do you work in a team not being a team player is probably a big red flag a lot of times Mm -hmm. from what i've seen so i think that's one of the examples i would have put in there in the first reach out phase from a hiring manager, that's one of the questions that I personally would ask somebody to gauge how their teamwork is. So I don't know if you guys have anything similar to what uh, I was trying to say. They...
2: If I was if I was like a technical recruiter, I think like oftentimes I can get a lot during like the first 10, 15 minutes of the, com- like 5, 10 minutes of a conversation with a candidate when I ask them to explain their projects. Because oftentimes how that's a good how, how much in depth they go, like what things they decide to focus on, Tell me a lot about what kind of engineer they are sometimes they focus a lot on like the product details and i realize they're okay like they're more of like a product they want to make sure i understand like the product specs before they like dive into the technical details and when they do dive in the technical details sometimes they they don't get very far so i know like okay maybe they're not they weren't as involved in like the architectural side of the product so um but most most technical engineers or technical recruiters aren't actually truly they're, they don't have technical backgrounds. I think like are recruiters that specifically recruit technical people, like software engineers. So I don't know if that experience is like too relevant for them. But they might have like a softer version of that when when talking to candidates.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot actually. Do you have any like questions that you you would ask like if you put your thinking cap of like a hiring manager? Is there any good questions that you'd, you'd like to ask Andy to prospects?
1: Um. Probably just the same ones that uh, Stan just mentioned, like, to talk about, like, their previous experience. If they're not able to talk about it well, then that's, like, a huge red flag. Like, did they even do yeah. that stuff? Or
2: It could be, like, a communication issue mm-hmm. sometimes, or it could just be, you know, maybe they just didn't do very much.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and those are definitely indicators like... <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, both not very great indicators, but, you know, you take that as, like, some signal and combine it with the rest to get more of a fleshed-out picture. Yeah, that's true. Candidate.
0: I think one of the questions I could rip off from uh, from a hiring manager that uh, I've been asked once and I feel like if I ever get the chance I'll definitely ask people is, uh, what is your take on doing things right versus doing the right thing?
2: Like, I gotta think about that one. <laughs> yeah, so like,
0: it's actually, I don't know, like... Doing things right? Versus doing the right thing.
2: Can you describe the difference? <laughs>
0: So yeah, red flag because you don't know what's the difference, <laughs> not hiring your ass, you're done. Um, that's All actually, right. like, it's it was funny because, like, it wasn't a recruiter that asked, so it was, like, a proper hiring manager. I think it was, like, you know, leading the team or, or whatever yeah. that position was. Like, ethically the right thing versus, like, doing it the right way? So you could answer it that way. As in, like, you can answer it that, like, obviously, if you're going to write code that, you know, puts a lot of legal issues on the matter, then, yeah, you definitely shouldn't mm-hmm. be, doing, be doing that. But... um. I think I, did, I think I did well past that, past that stage, sorry, because how I answered it was more like, good practices vs bad practices. Because like, obviously it's a technical interview, so like from that point, when you're talking about doing things right versus doing the right thing, doing things right is having good practices, uh, you know, just make it scalable, make it so that it's readable for everybody, as opposed to doing the right thing. No, sorry, that's doing the right thing. Doing things right. <laughs> I got this. Doing things right is basically, you know, if you have like a tight deadline and you're kind of cutting corners a bit kind of thing, mm-hmm. you're completing your feature at the end. Like you are actually adding a lot of value for the game. But the thing is like conceptually, like it's it's good temporary. So the way I was looking at it, it was more like what kind of impact you have in, in terms of timeline, like a technical impact in terms of like the short timeline versus the long timeline and then how it's going to impact other people. As you go to it, so I'm not going to dive super deep into like you know the back and forth and that, but I think like it was a really interesting question in terms of like it can be technical if you decide to answer that question technically, and then you'll have these debates on like you could bring up oh uh, then they'll bring up tech, tech depth, and then you'll bring up uh, uh, how it impacts other people on the team, and then you know you could kind of elaborate on that. So I thought that was one of the questions where it was like wow I'll, I'll definitely <laughs> use it. It sounds simple, but it sounds mind effy mind- as well. But, um... Yeah, I like that question. I think, like,
2: maybe I wouldn't phrase it in, like, a philosophy class type way, <laughs> yeah, maybe probably... in a more explicit <laughs> yeah. way, but I like the succinctness of the, of the way that it's phrased if the person also clarified exactly what they meant by each of those mm-hmm. two parts of that statement, because <laughs> yeah. I, it's a good conversation to have in terms of, like, trade-offs, uh, how to execute tasks.
0: Yeah, so that's always sure. fun. I'll, I'll try to dig a couple more of these, but like, you know, those are the kind of stuff that uh, I think from an interviewer's point of view, you kind of have the, a bit more freedom to ask that kind of stuff. Uh, it kind of gauges what uh, what other people are doing. Um, yeah, I think from the point of view of sending out challenges, uh, from the interviewee's point of view, so like we love receiving challenges that are practical and like it reflects exactly the day to day life of what your stuff kind of builds. Um, how does a interview or come up with these questions like do they just take a feature that they've built months ago and be like oh let's just ask the new candidate to build that or well, what kind of thought behind uh, sending out these challenges usually people go through That's
2: a good question like i said it's pretty hard to like find good problems i think one way to find good problems is to find problems in the code base or the product that you are working on and simplifying them to a degree where you could solve them within an hour Uh
0: have you seen cases where people just take a textbook of like all the all the possible like programming problems, and just pick one out and be like, all right. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's where the companies that just pick problems off of leak code yeah. <laughs> like which I definitely run into as well. I'm just like, Oh, yep, already solved this one, you know, a week back. So I'll just like recite exactly what I wrote back then. And those I think are less less good problems, but you know, there can be better versions of those types of problems as well. Like the ones where I was talking about where there's a natural progression in terms of how far you can get without like a single aha moment in there.
0: Um, oh, just because there's like the time-dependent factor, of, like how far they could.
2: Yeah, like so there's like you could solve just like the most basic version of the problem, and then after that point, how do you optimize it? And after that point, like let's expand like the specs of the problem to see if your code can also handle like the expansion of the specs to see yeah. how
0: scalable it is. So those types of problems are also still good. Um, yeah. That's pretty sick. Do you have a favorite question that you've ever asked a candidate, Andy? A technical question,
1: sorry, like a challenge or... Oh, don't don't give any of the ones that we do. (laughs) Probably FizzBuzz is a good one to ask. Is it? Yeah, I've like... I've I've never understood that. Yeah, for the people who
0: don't know the the actual question or like, just a bit of context of like, what are they trying to solve that? What's what's a FizzBuzz question?
1: I think it's like you print out the numbers 1 to 100 and then you replace... Some of the numbers with fizz, some of the numbers with buzz, and then some of the other numbers with fizz and buzz, right? Yeah, it's like a factor of three, it's like
2: fizz, factor of five, buzz. And oh, that's
0: like pretty cool. Both of them. And from the interviewer's point of view, what are you looking most of the time on what what they're answering?
1: You can write a for loop. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> it just it makes it like super easy to gauge on like whether they have that like baseline. How many knowledge. people
2: I don't understand like how many people would actually fail this problem? Like, for sure, not that many, right? Like, it can't be filtering out that many candidates. Because you, wanna, you want a problem that, let's say, like, filters out 60% of the candidates, like, at each stage. Like, to find, like, the good ones. Like, FizzBuzz definitely wouldn't filter out 60% of, like, anybody. When,
1: when, when I was interviewing for, like, a uh, intern at my last company, yeah, there were only, I think, two people out of ten people that applied that were able to complete it. What? So you see Who are like... these people? said, <laughs> <laughs> you're living in a bubble, man. Everyone's too smart okay, for you. Okay, alright. Everyone's way too smart.
2: That just makes no sense to me. Like, how are you programming and you can't write a for loop with Dude,
0: you're gonna set your expectations a lot lower. I'm kidding. Also that's why you have a bias for goddamn Bay Area engineers. <laughs> I'm obviously kidding. Like it's actually quite interesting to, to be well, These guys were in the Bay Area, right?
2: Or are they elsewhere?
1: they were uh they were like korean so Uh, i I, I, I don't know i don't know if their cs isn't as strong over there but i feel like it's probably comparable to us i don't know
2: apparently not if (laughs) are only two out of ten pass. (laughs) i
0: i i think like most of the the majority i don't think it's like a strong 80 percent of people will succeed this question like Mm -hmm. right away i feel like that's way too optimistic like Mm -hmm. if you tell me 50 50 i'd be more than happy that there's a 50 percent chance that they're not gonna do it i
2: guess it's a fast problem as well it's like I know like when I was interviewing at Uber at each one of them there was like a five minute problem in the beginning mm-hmm. like, and then you just like quickly complete it it seems like maybe it falls under one of
0: those. Mm-hmm. But it tests you like that if you're way. under pressure. You could know it but like if you're going to be under pressure of five yeah, minutes You can't solve FizzBuzz like... under pressure. <laughs> like, you're not going to work at Uber like, yeah. for sure. <laughs> uh, <right. laughs> I think if anybody's starting, go look at fizzbuzz and like try to do it in five minutes. I think you'll at if least it you'll It takes have fun. thirty seconds. You're done. <laughs> Dude, I've never done it. I'm gonna admit I've never done it, so I'll I'll, I'll sure probably try do to it do it. In do thirty it. seconds, and then uh, we'll circle back. If I don't do it within that time, I'll have a lot to think about. So, yeah. <laughs> and um, the other point that I actually wanted to ask was that when you receive a challenge back from a take home, so these are kind of like the more bigger one, like where they actually. Uh, create their project and then they have like you know different structure file structure all that kind of stuff what kind of points from an interview or like whoever's uh, you know gauging the the applicant what kind of stuff would you be looking at if somebody sends you these uh, coding challenges mm. I mean well, the... you do a lot
2: more you grade a lot more take homes <laughs> than I do right?
1: I mean the first thing is just like whether it's not complete that's usually like a very okay, easy product thing to product
2: specs, like yeah does it run <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah does it run do they meet the specs that were defined are they careful in terms of reading those yeah mm-hmm. does it answer the question Like, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you'd be surprised right <laughs> like some people just copy paste
0: code they don't know what they're copy pasting mm-hmm.
2: um,
0: yeah i was gonna say does uh does a file structure matter much or this is not the most relevant point for somebody sending in the could
2: be a bonus like mm-hmm. if they do it well i don't think you should hold it too much against them if, it's like a timed challenge mm-hmm. I that's, think another thing that I kind of look for is uh, like proficiency in whatever language or frameworks they're looking on working with uh, usually that's not something I hold them against but if they do really do really well with one like it's kind of a plus
0: yeah I like I like all the all the bonus stuff that you're putting out there because these are concepts the kind of that could you know make you more distinct than other candidates for example mm-hmm. like if you're adding in the bonuses the one that I mentioned previously was adding tests. Yeah,
2: That's, writing mm-hmm. tests.
0: Those are the ones that uh, it's so easy to skip, just because uh, I mean it runs. The code runs. It could run perfectly fine and do stuff. So, but if it runs and you're also confirming that uh, the edge cases, so handling uh, you know negative values, nulls, and all that, that is always something that is impressive. But you know it's not like the most complex thing to do. You could do it fairly easy. It's just depending you know if you want to tackle it. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, all these bonus points are really great in terms of sending in these. Uh, take-home challenges and everything um but yeah and i think from the last point from a interviewer's point of view is uh how do you you know talk to somebody after the challenge challenge phase sorry which is basically the negotiation phase like the offer phase like from your point of view how do you gauge how much they're worth i guess or how much leeway you want to give them to you know improve uh their offer i guess
2: I've never been part of any offer <laughs> decision.
0: Usually I, I do stuff before that. Like I'll just interview, but the hiring manager. Uh, yeah. I think it's definitely more of a hypothetical software. question. in terms of like um, what what would justify somebody to be like, okay, fine. They're worth the extra that they're asking or no, they're not worth the extra that they're asking kind of.
1: Well, you always want to give them the lowest offer that you can <laughs> without being like disrespectful. Yeah. That, that's yeah. usually See, the like, th- that's like yeah. the real, <laughs> real topic. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But then like, I feel, like, from both parties, like, that's always something that should be known. As in, like, a lot of times people would come in and be, like, they're expecting. Like, they would assume that's, like, the highest they're going to offer to somebody. But a Mm -hmm. lot of times, like, people do expect that there should be some negotiation happening. So whether you're, you're, you know, the hiring manager or uh, the applicant is that the offer going out there is not always the final offer. You should not expect that to be final offer.
2: Yeah, like... there are are like a few good hard rules stuff like follow like don't tell the recruiter how much you're looking for like before the actual offer like wait until they make the actual offer and then at that point uh, when you're negotiating it's good to have a couple other offers on hand and that way you actually be like okay well they gave me this much Uh, can you bump up your offer Um,
0: yeah those are like kind of like the basics of negotiating yeah and in terms of like the transparency and like I feel like the whole the whole point at the end of the day is that like you'll end up on the same team if everything goes well. You know what I mean? Like the whole point is that like you want everybody to be happy and then everybody to you know uh, be agreeable with the whole thing. Um, something that we didn't mention actually is that what is included in a an uh, offer package. So oh, what, yeah. So like as a hiring manager, you could offer a lot of things. Uh, obviously, the salary is one of the things, but there's other stuff that you could include into that to make the appeal to it. So if we could just break that down real quickly in terms of something that you guys have seen something that could be included in that mm-hmm. usually there's the salary if you're working
2: for like a startup if it's like a startup giving an offer there's stock options if they're pre-public if they are public I think usually they give out RSAs like restri- or RSUs restricted stock units uh, aside from that there could be stuff like, um, like an education stipend stipends of various kinds like transportation stipends there's a lot of other like little things like whether you
0: get meals anymore <laughs> <laughs> have you seen any any other more more than uh, those ones andy
1: i mean yeah that's basically it um i think in my last job i had like uh, something added to it where they would uh, pay for my gas money like driving yeah, like to and from transportation work transportation yeah. Like
0: stipends. yeah vacation days also is always a good thing to to negotiate
2: oh yeah um, a lot of startups now they don't do like strict number of vacation days which I think is like a pro and a con because it's harder to ask for days off and Mm. you don't get compensated for those days if you don't take them anymore
0: well I still I still think it's not the majority of stuff like it's coming as in like more companies are willing to do it but I feel like there's still a lot of Companies that will have a fixed number and they'll be like, no, you can't have That's
2: true. Yeah. At least with like engineers in the Bay Area, I think it's like almost expected Mm -hmm. now. I haven't seen any or too many job offers that had like a number of vacation days. Unless they're like one of the more modern ones that have like flipped and been like, you have to take this many number of vacation days per year. Yeah.
0: I think, yeah, from what I've seen is from different places. I know in London a lot of companies they force you to take the days. Yeah. so if you have a fixed amount I think the standard for like most of the companies is like 28 in a year that's mm-hmm. including uh, your holidays like Christmas and all that so if you don't use them they will force you to use it just so that you have them off and everything so I think de- <laughs> I think depending on which, you know, which part of the world is slightly different but I think uh, it was really good that we mentioned that uh, we, you have different options in terms of what your compensation package is included sometimes if you have been reached out to and then the whole process goes through they're also going to have a sign-on bonus where they're, mm-hmm. I think like they're literally going to give just a bit of cash <laughs> straight out so that you join the company. So that mm-hmm. is also a, a thing that could be included into that. So um, I just wanted to point those out because I feel like any of those points can be negotiated. So salary, you could talk about it, but you can also negotiate yeah. on like the stock options. You can negotiate on the actual stocks, if ever There's um, the company is public at the end of the day. You can negotiate your PTOs, the perks, uh, the healthcare benefits. So all those points can be discuss with yep. the recruiter the hiring manager the company at the end of the day so uh don't don't miss out on those because they might you know have a big impact uh down the road mm-hmm. so yeah i feel like what's important we've been talking about this discussing discussion 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 try to talk as much as possible um any final thoughts in terms of like you know technical interviews after that we've talked about all these kind of stuff that uh no
2: just don't be an ass <laughs> like, and study up, <laughs> you'll do fine.
0: There's a lot of tech jobs out there. Yeah, I like how the people just think this, be like, don't be an ass. That's like, there's going to be rigging <laughs> in there. Andy, do you have any, like, just find words to people, like, going into a technical interview or, you know, going planning to do them?
1: Yeah, well, once, once you get an offer, make sure to uh, always negotiate because, like, the company is going to provide you the lowest that it can. <laughs> so, like, it's, it's, it's very rare that they'll give you, like, like the max of what of what um they can offer you at like the first pass so mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't matter what experience level you're at even if you have no experience you should, also, you should always negotiate mm-hmm.
0: that's not advice and that's definitely going to be for the better of you know yourself development everything so i think my last words on these kind of stuff is just basically just talk to not only the company you're talking to but like just people that you know like a lot of people in this field in this industry have gone through this process and everybody has an opinion what that is and if you're not sure about something definitely just ask it out because you're not going to lose anything from you know having more knowledge from other people how they went through the technical process if they've done well or if they've done bad to it so anyways that's the end of the episode of uh you know for today and uh yeah have a great day and i'll catch you guys on the next one